What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hustlers. I'm your host, Loss. Uh, we got my man Pat McPhee on today. Roll that intro, I baby. Flow. I gotta stay on my hustle. You know that I'm grinding for sure. I came out right from the bottom. Now they see me chasing my goals. Now they see me on the go. Now they see me on the road. It's time to hustle, yeah. It's time to grow. I'ma shoot for the stars and we ain't for the gold. We've got uh, obviously we've uh, we've rebranded. This is now the Hustlers Podcast, uh, previously One Three Eight Podcast, but um, it's not technically our first podcast. But I guess it sort of is a new sort of light for us. Um, started as a freelancing content producing um, kind of guy. He's a glo- he was the global head of video and global director of media at Zero. Um, <laughs> he is now the co-founder of choice um i think you guys did what over two million dollars in sales in your first year yeah yeah under just, a year uh, about to yeah what's the date today july something 28th ish yeah we still got like a uh 15 days maybe <sighs> two point i don't know it's right 2.2 right now that's going back into yeah. the hands of small businesses in new zealand yes um the start the co-founder of we are monarchy indigo um where we're sitting today indigo studios the the host of real talk Pat McPhee, what's up, <laughs> Thanks for having me. This mic is kind of um, a huge. No, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess I do want to start as just to say a huge thank you to you for um, allowing us to use the facility nah, and it's all good. Um, help sort of level up our content game, I guess, because that's kind of the the age we live in at the moment. One hundred, eh? bro. This is what this place is all about. You've seen it this morning. We had um, the guys over here doing the shoot for the um, Ponsonby Panthers series, come, upcoming series. Got dudes over in the studio mm. over there making music. Got creative team out there producing dope content mm. and doing stuff for our own platforms and our brands. That's what this place is about. Bucky, yeah, I was just we were just talking about today how cool it is. I just coming in and just seeing everyone sort of with that creative side, just like looking through that window and seeing dudes rapping and making music. Like, fuck, yeah. that's cool, bro. Like, I actually... It's the biggest thrill for me, bro. Like, just to go out there and just sit in there mm. and just be in there and just be like undercover and just nobody <laughs> knows. Yeah. And it's like, wow, just just having a listen. <laughs> but it's just so inspirational. Like, yeah. I walked in there last night um, when the bro Diaz was in there um, and he was uh, mixing his track that he's just done and it's got Henny Wehe on it and stuff and I was listening to it and it was just what you know, it was really mind blowing the sound and all the phonics and just like and but that for that to be in our spot mm. and for that type of creativity and this type of creativity coming out of here and it's all helping to feed small business like that's what this is right this mm. is small business so that's bro that to me that's the the richest reward. And like what, it's only been seven, eight months since you've been in this spot, so. Yeah, yeah, December we moved in. December, must be 2020. Was it, was it 21? Mm, 2020. Yeah, December 2020, we got the <laughs> lease finally. And then we, because um, it wasn't like this, it was like, you know, your granddad's crappy back shed. And so we got True. all the, yeah, the floors got polished and walls painted and <clears throat> that wall got, that whole room there got rebuilt. Upstairs got rebuilt, downstairs got gutted and and um, decorated. Upstairs gutted and decorated. So it was a bit of work. We kind of worked through yeah. Christmas and had a lot of help. And by the middle of January, we were in. Um, I want to make a quick shout out to our sponsor of the podcast. Let's go. Um, Bout Fitness. You might have seen them on my page a bit. Um, I actually go there myself. Um, it's That's just like a yeah. So it's like a Hit, hit training gym, you do a bit of boxing. Um, right, you also do a bit your, of everything. I, like I only ever see you doing one-legged squats on your Insta. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, it's the same thing. Bro. You can blame them. <laughs> they bro. come up with the workouts. That's an interesting one exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Kane and Estelle Bajant, they started it. They have an, they have an amazing story. I'm getting them on the podcast oh, at me. some point. Um, they sort of went to Aussie, started saving, came back and just put everything into a gym. Cool. Um, and it's now turned into like a real cool culture thing. It's almost like a sports team, bro. So cool. um, everyone vibes with it. Everyone's like family in it. There's a Facebook page where everyone sort of gets around it, um, helps each other out. I offer discounts to people f- that go to bout for our clothes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just as like a little touch in there, um, if you want, 
uh, we've got a bit of a deal with them. So if you mention Hustlers in at the gym, um, you get a $0 joining fee. So save yourself 50 bucks and your first week free. Try it out. Got nothing to lose. Sounds like a deal. Is it in Tauranga or the Mount? It's in Mount. Um, yeah. And then there's also one in Papamore. So they've opened two. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, so they're doing well. I go to Papamore on Christmas holidays. I might go check it out. Yeah, you might, you might have to. Do a little um, summer, keep the rig in shape while you're having a few drinks. <laughs> yeah, got to get um, the rig in shape so that then the rig can have a shape because the rig ain't got no shape. <laughs> Bro, like, yeah. like any good stories, um, it's always good to go from the start. Yeah. Um, how, how did everything start for you, bro? If we if we sort of go back to, um, I guess the start of your journey and a bit of a nutshell, your your upbringing and whatnot. Oh damn! Um, <laughs> shit, bro. I think uh, most relevant place to start is just the most formative place, I guess. Mm. So, you know, grew up single parent family. Mm. It was crazy because my 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 dad did well in life and in business and my parents were married until I was like nine and then they got divorced and my dad was a hotel manager at the time so it was pretty different for a um, Maori man to have that type of role you yeah. know in the in the 80s and then um, so we lived in a hotel bro can you imagine like my my bro and I like our bedroom was like a hotel room Crazy, eh? And then, like, so we'd go down to the restaurant for uh, breakfast in the morning and, like, we'd have a dri- driver take us to school. What? And pick us up. And then, like, like every day, like, you just, as we were walking out the door, we'd walk past the restaurant, get our prepared lunch. <laughs> but do you know what that reminds me of? Um, <laughs> did you ever watch that Disney show, um, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody? Have you seen that? Nah. No. Well, you need to you need to watch that. They might bring back a few memories. This is exact. Okay. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So that was, but that was that was our life. And then like there was, like the um, hotel had like the spaces parlor in there, and the fix you just go play spaces and learn how to talk about hustle, bro. Actually, that's when I learned how to hustle people playing pool when I was a kid. Because <laughs> I became really good at pool. Yeah. Because I'd like go into the bar. Like on the weekends, like every day, because pubs used to open like 11 a.m. So I just get up like eight o'clock, Saturday, Sunday, and just go play pool. And if it was school holidays, I'd play pool every day before school and, and um, every day before the bar opened and the holidays. I just got really good at a young age. And so then I would go in at night <laughs> after closing time, which is 11 o'clock, and there'll be like all these drunk men, <laughs> and I'll play them for money, bro. <laughs> I was like, 10, 11, 12 in the pool in the public bar, like the Lake Hotel in Topol, and I was just playing all these like fully grown, like older men for like five buck, 10 buck a game. But that's a definition of a hustler. That was hustle back then, bro. Yeah, I was a little hustler. But so then, but what happens, my parents got divorced and um, my mom grew up rural as little, little um, sort of uh, rural town called Fatafata on the way out to Raglan, <coughs> just yep. outside of Hams. And um, when my parents divorced, we went from living in a hotel and then we went and lived in uh, Fairfield, <laughs> Fairfield and Hamilton with my, with my cousins, the mm. King sisters, the King Fano, sup girls. And, um, and then my mum, she was a hustler too, bro. And so she figured out that uh, if you, if you um, put yourself into a really bad situation in terms of your living circumstance, you can get on this emergency housing list. So my other auntie just happened to have um, 10 kids, herself and her partner, living in their three-bedroom house at Five Crossroads. And so we moved in there. And so there was 12 kids, three adults in a three-bedroom house. Bruh, straight up scraps for freaking wheat bucks in the mornings. Just like, like I, I know there's one thing, there's like sharing your bathwater, but then there's like being last and having shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a bath like, yeah, anymore. Bruh. Like 11, like I'd rather go swim in the river, bro. It would be cleaner. So that was life. And um, uh, we eventually got into our own state house, which was awesome. Um, over in Melville, uh, Norrie Street, Beta Street. Uh, 8435. And so we, um, we grew up in that hood. And it was tough. It was, um, it was a black power neighborhood. Mm. But they were all fine, though. Like they were my mum's cousins and stuff, and so actually super safe. Yeah. But just the calamitous nature of shit that went down in that neighborhood was horrific, right? 
people dying, you know, like little kids drowning because their parents went around and the gully down the back in the stream. Um, you know, people trying to break into our house and fucking rape my mum because they knew there was a solo mother in the house. And so you just like people jumping through your windows and shit. And Fuck. we studied uh, Kyokushin Karate when we were young. Mm. And so, like, we just get our nunchucks out and we're like whacking people's hands, trying to jump through the windows and shit. What? And um, yeah, it was intense, bro. It was intense. Um, but I, I don't like. It's only in retrospect I think it, we think it's intense. Like, just when you're back there, it's like, well, yo, this is life. Yeah. But, you know, you learn the code. You learn to keep your head down, walk straight, don't say smart shit yeah. to anybody that looks scary, and then just. Get on with it. Eventually, you grow up and you make friends. And how old were you then at this of, point? Uh, man, I was about like I think we moved into Malville, into Norrie Street when I was like um, I'm gonna say standard three. So my, that must be like eight. Okay. Yeah. And my brother was six, I guess. Mm. But like eight or nine, nine. No, sorry, my bad. We're 10th, well, I had my 10th birthday at my auntie's house, so I was 10, 10, 11. But by the time I'd been there, because of my dad's career, like I had been to um, eight different primary schools before we finally. Wow. Yes, I did have friends and shit. Like I didn't understand the concept of that type of friendship. Did that affect up. you? Like, do you think? Fuck yeah. Like you noticed the effect at the time or you notice it probably now looking back at it? Totally, man. I'm, a, I'm kind of a friendless motherfucker, to be honest, bro. Like, I don't have um, close friendships, you know, mm. one or two. Mm. Um, I feel quite envious of people that go out with their crews and with their boys and stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I find it difficult to relate to people like that. Right. Um, but then I just let this be my, like this. I was going to say. My point of connection. Yeah. And, um, you know, stack it with meaning and purpose and, and just let that be how I fulfill that part of my life. Do you think, because I've, I've talked to a few of our my boys about this and we've always wondered if coming up, you know, growing up with adversity like that um, would have a direct effect on how you, how you take on life, you know, like how you get to where you get to and like you look at all these top sports players in, in the NBA and that majority of them come from rough upbringings and... Um, have come through adversity growing up. Do you think? Do you think that it has something to do with it, or do you think? Well, adversity builds character, one hundred, mm. right? But I think environment is the most formative thing. Like, if you can build character, that's great. If you can apply that character in an environment that is um, got more potential, then you know some of the environments that we come up with, because you can't be it if you can't see it. And so, in the United States, if you talk about professional sports. For the last couple of decades, there's been a pathway that everybody has known about mm. to get out of the ghetto through professional sports. So it's kind of like a known pathway. But, um, you know, when I was a lot younger, there's no such thing as professional sports. And so but that adversity kind of builds character, but it kind of also leads you, you know, in directions. Like you need to be able to step outside of the environment and, and – the realities of that environment to see other truths that other people live because unless you can see that you don't know that there's an option you don't know that there's other and so the reason that True. i guess i was able to get out is because i'd seen that other world before i went into the yeah right to yeah. the hard life and i'd seen like wealth and then like even while my parents were divorced and um i would come up to auckland and work in the family restaurant every every weekend um catch the bus up on a friday night and then walk into the the restaurant was in victoria street and then just like work till 3 a.m in the morning friday saturday catch the bus home sunday go to school monday did that for like fifth form sixth form seventh form um but i saw different shit that mm. my friends that you know i ran into one of my bros recently and he was just homeless on the street and you know well, I seen one of my bros that I came up with, and he died in a um, a fire in Christchurch. He was living rough in in a space above a um, uh, a whorehouse, <laughs> and you know, all like a lot of my friends in prison, 
a lot of my friends filling all the negative statistic categories, but they couldn't see nothing else. Yeah. And that's the responsibility that I take seriously is to um, show people that there's something else. That's why I went back last year and my wife and I started our foundation and we started giving away um, $5,000 cash grants to promising Māori students at my old high school. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and we're going to do that again this year. We'll double down. We'll do two this year. Um, but I do that so that they can see that, like, despite the dire nature of your circumstance, you may look like you got no options. You may feel like you got no options. People may tell you you got no options, but here's an option. Mm. And I think as long as, you know, at ground level, um, I can continue to make impact like that. That's that's it, bro. That's I think you're doing me. a good job at it, bro. Um, Thank you, man. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, what about after that? So obviously you you moved to Melville. Yeah, then I moved up to Auckland after my um, finished high school. Didn't do no university, nothing. To be honest, I didn't know what university was. Mm. I had um, aspirations of being the. Next MC Hammer, BMX freestyler, champion of the world. <laughs> Neither of those things worked out particularly well. Um, but I came up here, worked in the family restaurant, and then, uh, yeah, again, it was just another side of life. I think what that taught me, and that because we had a couple of restaurants and bars, is that it taught me that, um, kind of taught me that baseline understanding of human nature. Mm. You know, if you're if you're young-ish and observant and you're in those environments where you see baseline behavior manifest consistently every day in the form of people getting turned and you see the nature of people come out, yeah. you begin to develop a picture of what you understand baseline of humanity to be. <laughs> and so yeah. that just taught me human nature and like actually the – Fundamentals of understanding human nature, I think, are the very same fundamentals that we apply to growing communities and social media. So I did that for a minute, and my dad got involved in um, production, and then one day he called me out of the blue and said, like, I was doing nothing. I'm just bumming around. He's like, do you want to come do a day on set? And I was like, yeah, sure. Just I was like turning up, and mm. then it's just like I was best boy on the set. I didn't know what that meant. For me, it was code for bum boy. And so, <laughs> so I just carried lights around all day and I was on a production set. Not too different from the space we're in here right now. Actually. What was it for? Do you remember? Uh, nah. Nah, it was just a, I was just in the studio. wasn't anything particularly great. A TV show. Yeah, yeah TV like show. And they were just telling me, um, you know, put this light there, mm. put that light there. But I just I loved the experience of that whole production world and that kind of set me up on my journey um in production it was about 1995 by then you touched on the uni bit there um what are your opinions on going or not going to university and do you, for, for me i think it's um dependent on what you want to do um but i'll just be keen to get your take on what yeah, you, I think your opinions on university like you can't not go to university if you want to be a doctor yeah exactly lawyer like you know there's certain things. Um, but for outside of those professional service categories, um, I don't believe that there's – but I'm like, you know, I've got my own point of view, bro, because I never course, went to university but, yeah, anyway. So yeah. I'm like, I don't really completely understand the value of it. I understand the value of um, – when you want to be in a professional service, the extent to which you have a university education is the extent to which you can earn money in that profession, you know, as a way in. Yeah. But that's kind of how I look at it. Um, but I look at the impact that we're making with like our own programs here, like mm. our digital doers program, where it's in response to massive seismic change in the way that small business operates. And we're being able to create a new category of job called mm. a digital doer, essentially a digital generalist. And that role didn't exist before. And so now we, you know, after 12 weeks, you know, you can have somebody that's on the benefit, like on a job seeker benefit, and they can go from earning 426 bucks a week to in 12 weeks, they can go and get a job as a digital generalist earning 1150 bucks gross. You know? Yeah. That's double 
Mm. Once you go net on what you earned before, and you did that in 12 weeks, and probably if you stick in that career in digital, you can go like, you know, 110, 130, 160, 180, whatever, yeah. long term. And so um, the notion that you need to stay in tertiary traditional education pathways to earn a six-figure income, boost your household income, mm. I think is um, inaccurate. It's not wrong. It's not a lie. Yeah. But it's... Um, it's inaccurate. That is not the only way. And it's also like a, you would know that our parents of this generation are probably quite, you know, we, they like to push our, our kids towards university because I guess that's all they've known um, as a pathway to um, getting a good job, get a degree and get a good job. Yeah. And I, I think just said to my son, I was just like, because um, he's 12 now. And uh, I said to him, man, I don't care about your school. I don't care about your report. I don't care about you going to college mm. uh, or university. What I care about is that you find your purpose in life. And for as long as it takes, mum and dad will support you mm. to find your purpose in life. And then when you find your purpose, mum and dad will enable you. Mm. But it's more... Um, important that you find your purpose then you find a fucking career 100 percent. well i mean how 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 much of our life do we spend working yeah you, i've always said it like and i think i've always had this sort of mindset where um if i'm gonna be working or if i'm gonna be you know supporting my family in some sort of way i want it to be fun and if i'm gonna totally. i've got to be enjoying it otherwise you know i'm I've never ever or never will and no disrespect to people who do um, I admire their hustle actually that they can do it but I couldn't see myself going to something that I didn't enjoy week in week out getting to Friday and being like thank god it's the weekend and and just repeating that every week totally I can't live like that either but you know in the absence of options some have to yeah 100% some have to and I admire people that have the discipline um, to do that mm. and in support of their whanau because there's like, there's nothing wrong with it, man. It's so honorable. My mum worked two jobs yeah. as a cleaner. She worked at Center Place in Hamilton cleaning the food court during the day. And then she would come home, give us our dinner, and then she'd go do an evening shift at Waikato Hospital cleaning the hospital. And of course, that meant we we're at home. But like, she did what she had to do, you know. That that sort of um, survival mode, that kind of mindset, I think, also ignites more when you have family, you have kids, and totally. um, like I would never have understood it completely. Obviously, I've just had my first son. Congratulations! <laughs> He's what, eight months old now. Um, Different, eh? Yeah, it's just like that feeling where. Yeah you re literally would do anything for them. You would, you would die for them. And so totally. going to a job that you didn't enjoy, if it was to enable them to do something, or if it was enable them to live a different life, you would totally. absolutely do it. And that was the mindset of my mum too. It's just like, and that taught me incredible understanding of this like work ethic, you know? Mm. Work ethic. Whoa. 100. Yeah. If you don't see it, you can't be it. Yeah. So she showed us, me and my bro, what that looks like yeah. and she still models that every single day that and just like um absolute humility my my grandfather my grandmother out at fata fata all my whanau just always ring a wera on on the marae that's what our that's our role mm. i love that we have that role and i'll go home and i'll wash the dishes in the marae on the bench that's too low that after three minutes i get a cramp in my lower back <laughs> Like, but you know, that's what it, that's yeah. what it is. And that those parts of life, while we do all this, um, fancy stuff is, um, you know, what, what, um, keeps us grounded. Yep. Yeah. What well, with, with mindset, what, when do you think, or can you think of some sort of time mm -hmm. where you realized you 
had like an entrepreneurial mind like or do you can you think of a time where you were like oh okay i think of yeah why do just, i, think I remember this? like um my parents shipped me off to boarding school when i was in third form and then um uh after the first couple of terms i was like nah like there was i was an academic kid and there wasn't a lot of um emphasis hmm. put on academic achievement i was like nah this is dumb and like my whole family that went home was like i ain't going back there man like you get treated like an idiot for being smart yeah right and then i'm like that place sucks and my mate my i remember my like they tried to get everybody to get me to go back and then they called in the heavyweight they called in my grandmother and she's oh. like so what are you going to do then like if you're not going to go back to school like i said i'm not going back to that school she goes but yeah but that's a good school like what are you going to do i said i'm going to be an entrepreneur wow but i didn't like maybe heard the word once <laughs> and all my grandmother did was laugh <laughs> i'm not sure that she was entirely sure what it meant as well but um yeah that's what i said and and to me that added up to the ability to exit my current circumstance on my own terms and that's what i was trying yep. to achieve you moved into like that role within um zero at some point um don't like how, how did that all come about and like what was your sort of role in growing that because i know you're a big part of growing that to what it is now which is obviously huge mm. how to get in there i um through my experience in in production i was kind of like at the right place at the right time because a friend of mine had come back from the us 95 96 must be 96 97 and he was telling me how much the internet was going off and um <clears throat> he was living in the west coast and his his um fiance her dad uh, you know, in the States, they have um, coupons, like they cash in coupons to subsidize buying things at, oh, yeah. at stores. Yeah. And so her dad was the coupon king of America. <laughs> and um, he had recently sold up his company to start um, an online grocery platform called American Grocer. And it was like, bro, they can go on this thing called a website and they can buy groceries. And this is like when Alta Vista was the hot, hot search engine. Uh, this is before you were born, probably. <laughs> and um, that's a trip, though, that you've grown up and you've been born the whole time the internet was around. Never lived in an internetless world. No. Shucks. And so, anyway, he told me about the incredible possibilities of what could happen on this thing, the internet. And I was in production. I was like, one day, video will end up on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> sounds ridiculous Jeez. to say now but then i just started getting ready and um a few years later um i teamed up with a couple of guys that were involved in the startup space here and we actually started a, a video production company specifically for the web when there was none like there was like we were the only one in new zealand <laughs> Far out. and it just so happened that we had some really good commercial partnerships at the time and um company we were working with at the time was was telecom and uh, it was called telecom back yeah, then yeah, not yeah, spark yeah, yeah. and uh we started producing videos about their customers which everyone started calling case study videos later uh yeah shit what year was that i'm gonna say 2010 that's probably two years i'm gonna say it's probably about 2007 something mm. like that 2006 2007 yeah and um yeah so we started producing these videos for them and uh there was a company after been working with them for a couple of years that they partnered with it was just a startup at the time called zero and um telecom were like we're going to do these video series with this company called zero they're a, they're a cloud-based accounting software company but they're in the cloud and so it's amazing so fast forward this is probably like 2010 by then and um yeah, so I went and did the shoot, which was kind of like a co-op shoot for um, Zero and Telecom about a company called, I think it's called Made for Baby, <laughs> and um, hit it off with the head of PR comms at Zero at that time. Um, her name was Helen, and she just started getting us to do all 
her video for her. And so I just ended up like um, doing all the video here and doing video in the US and, and stuff in Australia for them um, before they had any internal capability. So we did that for about four years and then they started to um, grow their internal team. Um, and this mofo of here <laughs> was actually the first guy. Oh, really? In that internal team. Yeah, PJ. What's up, PJ? <laughs> PJ was the first internal hire. And uh, there's another guy who still works with me to this day who worked for Workflow Max at the time. His name's Nadim Malvat. And Nadim was also like a motion graphics guy. And uh, they were the first two guys. The internal creative agency capacity is like over 100 people there now. Wow. But PJ and Nadine were the first <coughs> wow. two guys. And I remember they're going there and doing a workshop to teach them about storytelling for video and stuff. Yep. And like, I think you'd been there for maybe three months or something. <laughs> and um, Nadine had been at Workflow Max for a little while. And, uh, and then it was quickly after that that they got rid of me and started using <laughs> <laughs> and then they started doing everything internally and so um i quickly cottoned on that like that was going to be a great opportunity inside of that place so i think it was about uh, 18 months later um i just sent a message yeah. through to a few people i knew i was like what's up with what's going on in there like yeah come check it out and i went and checked it out and nick minute I started off there um just working in a, a local video role leading video here um but understood the global vision of the company and then ended up leading video globally. And then they moved the um, motion graphics and the education production um, into my department as well. And then the increasingly involved with the brands development and, and then rolling out campaigns with that team around the world for the brand. And so it just kind of, it's, it's just all about, I think there's a, um, if there's a repeating pattern in my life, it's just that I just go all in every time. Yeah. And so I'm always playing for 100. Yeah. And so yeah. I just all in, get there all in, get there all in. Yeah. And really, you know, a lot of people get staggered when they come to this place. It's like 800 square meter facility, blah, blah, blah. They're like, how do you get here? And I'm just like, I don't really know, but we just keep on going all in. Yeah. yeah. I do know, but it's just, you know. It's partly as a result of that. Do you reckon, like, your sort of role in that, like, with the video and stuff and Zero, like, that had a, one of the biggest effects on how why it's so big today? Video is definitely a central part of um, the brand narrative of that company. Yeah. But it's a great product, first and foremost. Yeah. Can't have a shit product no matter what you do with your brand. It's just going to be shit. Yeah, for sure. So definitely the product, first and foremost. Um but, you know, the, the brand is held in such high regard that you can't look past it. It plays an integral role in the yep. way that the product is received or people engage with the product for the first time. Fast forward a bit. I'm assuming you obviously started Choice and Monarchy and all this after that. Um, do you remember, like, the light bulb sort of moment that you were just like, oh, I could start first of all monarchy and then choice like what sort of came into I was your head? just in I was still at zero and um you know their company gets to a stage where um you know there's a the right person for the right time in that company's stage of development and I'm a aggressive growth guy and I'm all about challenge and you know I'm a champion of creativity and um increasingly it became I was not the right guy for the direction that that business was heading in mm. and it's you know you got to recognize that in yourself and i'm incredibly grateful for the time that i spent there mm -hmm. um but i was just like a dude out of season you know what i mean yeah, right, yeah. and so um if i was going to be true to who i was i could have stayed there towed the line collected an awesome salary got my share options every year yeah. done all those things but i would have been being true to myself and who I professed to be and the ambition that I had in my life. So it got to the point that was like, and I talked to my wife about it all the time. I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. She goes, okay, but she wasn't really down with it because it was a good job, really good job. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then she came home one day and she goes, I just quit my job. I was like, I'm supposed to be leaving first. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, shit. And so 
Um, she quit her job, and then I quit my job. And so that's kind of like the dumbest move I've ever made in my life. Because <laughs> then we're both without an income, and we're both starting stuff from scratch. Jump the deep end. Bruh. But um, my wife's incredibly talented. Yep. And like, as soon as anyone hears that she's on the market, like within a day, she has multiple offers. What does she do? She's like a um, cultural advisor and cultural engagement specialist and works closely a lot um, in the Te Maori space and okay. um, works with large organizations to help them build meaningful relationships with communities and mana oh, yeah. and all that. And so she, she's incredibly talented, bro. And it's yeah. annoying because like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if this all um, – came down in a screaming heap, like, I would just be unemployed for ages. <laughs> no one would care. I'm pretty unemployable, right? And so, yeah, but yeah. her, she's like, True. she just gets offers coming in, big offers too. So she quit, I quit, and then um, I had kind of been working a little bit on the side with Monts. We'd lined up one client, and we were, we were doing that, and um, I said to him, bro, what, you know this process that we got, like, we'd never pitch and kind of, you know, everybody, and then I've got all this expertise. Like, do you reckon we could just keep on doing that and grow a business? It's like, yeah, let's try. And so he kept on talking to people, and then I'd come in and we kept on sharing our experience, and we kept on getting more clients. Yeah. And then that mofo ended up coming work for us again. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was cool because there was no pitching, there was no selling, there was no, it was just like this this is our experience, yep. this is our credibility. We can share that with you around a specific project. Yep. Are you down? And so we did, and we um, built a good little business pretty quickly. We launched uh, officially in August of 2019, and um, by the time we came into the new year, when we first heard the rumblings of COVID on the horizon, we were going okay, we're going pretty good. Mm. Like growth was on, and we were looking to build a, a really big services-based business. And one day, we we're going to build a, a product, build a platform. COVID came and changed those plans overnight. And so our long-term plan became our only plan Yeah, <laughs> because, um, you know, all the clients just disappeared because everyone was shutting talking up about this. Yeah. And it was rough. It was rough as guts because, you know, you, you have um, annoying people like PJ who come and work with you and, and pin your hopes <laughs> and their hopes to each other. And like you go on this journey together and for us, for Mont and I and my wife, the hardest thing was that we would possibly have to let people go. Yeah. And so as COVID came down hard and we knew we were going down into lockdown, we spoke as a leadership group and um, we said, look, we just have to get through this. And our only objective is to make sure that our team keep their jobs and nobody takes a pay cut. And so we need an idea that's going to enable us to be able to do that. Yeah. And um, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, you know, with some of the clients that we worked with previously. Um, well, I wouldn't call it fortunate, but I was in a unique position where, you know, I, I was I was in Christchurch during the earthquake. Well. And um, it was interesting to me as I was observing the madness that unfolded around me, the role that, social media and media played in that disaster. Yeah. And it also took me back to um, September 11th when the planes hit the Twin Towers in New York. And I was just like, what I became acutely aware of was that in the midst of a disaster, um, the most valuable commodity becomes um, information that's highly relevant to my situation provided quickly. It's a disaster. Are my, are my loved ones okay? You know? Yeah. Or it's a disaster, like, what do I do now? How do I find out if the people are safe? How, what do I? And seeing what COVID was doing around the world, we knew it was going to have that type of impact when it hit here. So on the 17th of March, we decided to come up with an idea that solved that problem. How do you get small businesses information fast yep. about what you can do for your small business? And um, in the afternoon, we came up with the idea of Monarchy. And so we hired a developer in Poland off of Upwork and he coded around the clock for four days while Jar, the designer that we had here, partner in the business now, he, um, he did all the design work. And on the 25th of March, we put it live. 
We took Andy, who's another business partner in all those incredible business networks, Andy Hamilton, and they became the first group of advisors that were just there to help. And, you know, our hypothesis was right. Shit went down and everybody wanted to know, what, what do I do? What, what I do? Yeah. And, you know, while people were looking at the news and the news was telling you what the latest COVID count was, we were seeing all this data from small businesses going, what do I do? Like, um, when will it open? When, when will the board, you know, like, when will lockdown finish? Um, like, uh, what do I have to do with my staff? Like, do I have to pay them? How do I get out of my lease? Yeah. Do I have to pay my power bill? And then that was the first right after questions. And then it became about, um, oh my God, how long is this lockdown going to last? How can I reach my customers? Can I still sell? Yeah. What's the best ways to sell? And then this whole digital adoption, like five to 10 years of digital adoption happened in like three months. And the whole world changed, the small business world changed. And we just happened to be on the vanguard at the forefront yeah. of that happening. But what I knew as a brand guy is that when you're building a brand, when you're building a business, there's this whole spectrum of engagement that goes from very practical advice, you know, pragmatic engagement to emotional engagement. And so we were very purposeful about calling the brand Manaki because um, it wasn't just about representing, you know, this Māori, tell Māori concept. Um, it was also about the opportunity to unify the country from a small business perspective under this concept that gave business people an incredible moment, the business people that were coming to help. What we wanted to achieve for the advisors that were on the platform was we wanted to create this moment of massive pride and patriotism through the act of support to small business. And the fact that you could share your manaki tile to say, this is what small business means for me. This is why I'm helping small business. You know, we created a moment for those business people that's really akin to like, it's their opportunity to stand in the middle of Eden Park in a World Cup final and do a haka. Yeah, and yeah, Represent yeah. their country. Like that Put was the level up. of parochialism that yeah. that moment engendered. And we did that with our advisors who then shared their experiences and why small business was so important to them. And that brought the first bunch of people because they were incredibly influential business people. Yeah. That brought the first bunch. We repeated the process on Instagram and then, but used more influences for that. Mm. And then all of a sudden we had this mainstream adoption. We had this business adoption and we had it at scale. And in only months we'd cr created a community of scale. It was all about helping small businesses. I think if you remember the first time that we connected was over a Manaki Live. Ah. We are Manaki Live. So you went live on the page. Um, you'd made an announcement that you were going live with small businesses. Um, and I actually got sent the, a, link, a link to it. Ah. Someone said, hey, bro, I just thought you should know that um, Finn Barnett, actually shout out to Finn Barnett because I remember him. He messaged that to me. Um Go and check out We Are Manaki. It's this new thing that's helping small businesses at the moment. They're going live with people, bro. I just thought of you. I thought you could um you could try it. So um I can't remember how it worked. I don't know if you had to book it or whatever, but I just jumped on, I remember, and we yeah. jumped on and we had a conversation. Yeah, yeah I remember, I remember. <laughs> I remember, bro. Like we did we started those because we had no footprint. Yeah. And so we we're fortunate with monks. And when it started, when lockdown hit and we decided we're going to do lives, basically Mons just called all his celebrity mates and go, would you do a quick Instagram live with Pat on the Monarchy channel? Yeah, yeah. And then so that exposed Monarchy to all their followers. Right. And then after about a week of doing that, week and a half of doing that, we had enough followers that we started doing our own lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. And did those every night for freaking three months, bro. Really? Wasn't yeah, it? That long. Every single night for three months. Bro. I I remember just thinking, like, jumped on it straight away and obviously had no time to think about what I was going to say or whatever, and you started asking me. And um, to be honest, for me, it was quite a pivotal moment for my business because I thought um, it was the first time where I'd really talked about my business yeah, yeah. to someone like that. And I thought, shit, I could go all day right now. Like I, could, <laughs> like I was so passionate about it. Yeah. And I think that was the pivotal moment for me that I knew cool. like I was really about 
the the business as a brand and as a cool a, rather than the business itself so that's why um, we do what we do bro because we never have a, that's why i do this with you land like we'll talk to anybody and we'll give my time to anyone because you never know who's watching this right now mm. you never know whose life you're affecting if Finn hadn't seen something, didn't know about it, didn't hit you up, like, are we sitting here now? Exactly. Well, no, we're not, right? No. So that's why, that's what wakes me up in the morning, bro. It's yeah. like, gets me excited to get out and, because at the, at the essence of it is, um, people like you, people like me, people like people out there, um, that the system doesn't really suit. Mm. It wasn't engineered for us. We feel like we, perhaps have a greater calling or we want to achieve something that would be impossible for us to achieve inside of the system. And so we choose our own path. And that's um, a lot more difficult than Scary. just walking down the street that's been laid out for you. Yep. Scary, emotional as hell. Vulnerable. I'd say you feel quite vulnerable 100% of the time. 100, bro. And, um, but that's why. Mm. Because for people like us, and doing things like this, um, you know, this is so important mm. because it provides the other opportunity for somebody to learn, for somebody to actualize, for somebody to have a pivotal moment um, that can help them to go on and like, fuck, look what you're doing now, man. You're doing so well. And that's not because of anything that I did or anything that we did, but it was a series of events that compounded to create a series of moments for you that now you're living and walking in every day to to live your own very personal version of success, which is so cool. I think that that um, that time I messaged you about doing a story about us dropping the clothes, um, and obviously it eventually eventually led to this. So um, you asked me how it went, obviously, and it went all good. So I let you know that, and I asked for some guidance. So I came up here and met up with you. Um, Bro, I'm actually like you say you didn't have a big hand in that, but you honestly did, and <laughs> <laughs> like you did, bro. And um, you do that for a lot of people, I think. So um, humility is probably massive, um, especially in the Māori Pacifica, especially in New Zealand. Um, but I think there's times where you can pat yourself on the back, <laughs> pat no pun intended, <laughs> pat yourself <laughs> on the back, <laughs> bro, because um, yeah. you're doing awesome things for. Thank you, man. For Thank us. you. Yeah, that's my vision of success. Like I define how well I'm going mm. by how well the people that we're hoping to impact are going. Yep. Um, that and I have my own personal ambition. But it's hard because we're working out a new model. Mm. It's like um, impact, you know, real life impact and commercial imperatives kind of like clash sometimes. We're trying to resolve that. I know there's business models that are suited for that, but we're trying to resolve it and figure it out. And we look to other people for guidance, but it's just really about doing well financially. So that as well as seeing that I'm a GC and like people can get access and, and do stuff. The other side of that is, you know, what we achieve financially. Mm. So we build platforms that transact millions of dollars, that create millions of dollars in revenue, and we create impact. Yeah. And for so many of our people, when you say they're like they want to get into, they want to get into business. What do you want to get into business to do? I want to get into business to serve my people. Mm. Like ah, oh, that doesn't really make because business ain't really about that. Yeah. Business is about making money. Yeah. And so, I'm happy that we're trying to work that out. Hopefully, we we figure it out. I think we're getting closer. Well, speaking of millions of dollars of revenue, obviously that set over there, Choice, has done massive numbers yeah, since you started it. How how did you sort of – because you, you co-founded it, right? With, yeah, was it well, our, whole, our whole business model here is about partnering with people yeah. to enable them and to take advantage of strategic big opportunities that we see. Yeah. And so with Choice, we partnered with Sarah Colcord, um, who had the New Zealand Made Products Facebook group. And like, you know, you've been around and you're as old as me and you've seen um, groups come and you've seen groups go. You see pages come and accounts come and you see them go. Mm. Especially ones that look like they're spout social impact. Mm. 
they come, they go, they have their moment, then they, you know, COVID disappears and then they disappear. They kind of fade into irrelevance. And, um, you know, we saw an opportunity to support a young woman to um, not be that, to yeah. not go down that path and take advantage of the opportunity. Um, so we work actively behind the scenes to build this mm. platform. We've invested, Indigo has invested heavily um, in the development of the platform and invested heavily in the development of Sarah as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, not experienced like all of us when we get st getting started. Mm. Um, but it's about people, you know. And sometimes, you know, you invest in people and, and, and you know, it doesn't work out. Yeah. Or, you know, you hit skids. And then you go, oh, shit, I'm not going to invest in anybody else. But that's really, that becomes the test. Yeah. And so that platform, going incredibly well, but, you know, probably in a really rough patch right now. Right. And, and needs to figure out how it's going to continue to operate. Why is that? Well, I mean, there's just commercial realities and yeah. human resource rea realities and relationship realities. Like, you know, there's a lot of people here. Yeah. So there's a lot of different dynamics that go on, personalities, mm. and then direction, and you know sometimes ego, all of those things are reality of business. Yeah. You know, that's the reality of leadership. And when you've got a sizable team, those are the things that you have to deal with. So I don't want to come on here and act like everything's sweet, all about everything all the time. Yeah. It's fucking fun. Mm. But it's demanding, mm. it's challenging, and um, money doesn't grow on trees. And I don't have, like, we've got a lot of things here. I don't have a printing press for money, unfortunately. And so, and so the reality is a business has to make money. The reality is businesses need strong leadership. You know, and sometimes you can't bring those things together. So you face a crossroad and you go, what are we going to do? Yeah. And so, you know, very purposely we've talked about, like, um, the GMV, the gross um, value of the revenue that that platform has created. And it could go on to be incredible, right? It's just a startup now. Yeah. It could go on to be incredible. But like the next version of Monarchy could go on to be incredible. Small business day the first time was incredible. Next time might be useless. Yeah. Like we don't know, yeah. right? All we have is that massive consistent action that we keep on taking every single day to help get us that next step closer. So I don't take anything for granted, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. And all of that. When I came up here that time, you talked to me about that little story and I thought it'd be cool for you to talk a little bit about it, that um, with the blog and, and complex yeah. and you sort of had a hand in it or you helped <laughs> and then you sold it off. and Yeah, that was a trip. That was actually pretty form formative for me as well. Because uh, an old friend had um, recently come back to New Zealand and I think that like he was rehabbing, you know, because living the high life in the UK and came back to rehab. And um, while he was over there, though, had started this blog, street culture blog that just like went off, was huge. At the time, it was like um, all about collaboration culture, so collabs. And it was like artists collaborating with uh, sneaker brands. Mm -hmm and um, sneaker brands collaborating with athletes. And, you know, so it was just all about collabs that were happening at that point in time in popular street and urban culture. Mm. And it went huge. It was doing millions of uniques a month, like millions of unique visitors a month. He came back when he hit the skids. Um, we met up and uh, we put the structures and stuff around to start to build that company. Because it was traditionally built out of the UK. And we started to build it out in New Zealand. It was going good. And so he wanted to relocate to New York to get closer to um, where the action was. And at that time, Complex Media, who a lot of people will know, um, which was founded by uh, Mark Echo, uh, the guy from Echo Unlimited, the fashion label, uh, they, they had shown some interest in it. Mm. And they were handling all our advertising. So I'll never forget going up there. And I'd seen Mark Echo's if you're a streetwear head, like, you know Mark Echo and you know Echo Unlimited. And so I remember going to the office and seeing this massive glass window, like as high as our ceiling here from his office, looking out into the, into the office floor. And like he had this basketball hoop over his 
desk and he had this big ornate like the king of france's desk or some <laughs> shit like these big velvet drapes and shit and it was just like this you know skater dude sitting behind his desk but then went out and it was like completely different bro it was like um just cubicle farm and in this cubicle cubicle farm was just all of these um university students and they were all just writing creating blog posts for free to get their profile up so they could jump the queue at supreme for the latest drop or like they could have that kind of influence in their life be seen on the platform and in turn they built massive scale into that platform and that was that's like because right back then complex um they represent like complex magazine complex media like high snobiety a bunch of those you know what now are viewed as the og blogs in the category and we were yeah we were fortunate enough to to sell that business to those guys not that i saw any money out of it mm. but an exit is an exit yeah that's the other thing people bullshit about their exits like yeah man i got this exit bah did you make any money or did you just sell to get rid of your debts yeah you, you know what i mean yeah yeah an exit is when you exit and you get bank yeah you know an exit that you're trying to paint as something else is not that yeah and so that for me was not a great exit right that was just getting out i didn't even really know about exits and stuff until you you mentioned that like yeah. um that we talked about obviously my business and wanting to carry it through and pass it down through generations and you sort of um kind of gave me a you know it is very difficult to do that mm. and sometimes Challenged it a little bit eh? yeah yeah and it's and it was a good way to think it was a different sort of perspective that i hadn't thought of oh, it's not it's just like i love it i'm, I'm down for the legacy 100 mm. but you know the same romeo and juliet bro for sure this is fucking business yeah and so if you're in growth mode for business you're just starting up and you're trying to grow and scale what is your focus point in your opinion immediate traction yep how do i determine factually if this business has the potential to be what i think it is yeah and so just a little test that either proves to me that it has the potential or it doesn't if it doesn't out oh, right. cut my losses like it's not your life's work. It feels like your life's work. You've got to act in it like it's your life's work. Especially when you're young, though. You know, a good business will take five to ten years, five to ten years to grow. Mm. And, like, you know, if you're serious about building a business that has, you know, substantial sort of capital, wealth, and exit kind of value. Um, but a bad business you can identify in fucking five minutes with a couple of good tests. And I'd rather spend five minutes, or, you know, five weeks or whatever it is, figuring out that this business is um, rubbish and quitting yeah. and spending five years flogging a dead horse in the <laughs> hope for it that it's going to become something that mm. I'm too attached. I'm too yeah, personally yeah. attached. I have no perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, I, I, I heard about, or I heard in something before that you, or obviously a cancer survivor. Yeah. You battled cancer yourself um, when you were young, early 20s. Yeah, early 20s. This might reach somebody that's True that. in that battle or yeah. um, might face that battle at some point. Yeah. How, how did you go about it, bro? And, and what, you know, mindset's probably going to be very tough when you get into that, that situation. Just survive, bro. I don't have any fucking sagely points of wisdom. Um, cancer does not discriminate on race, age, like what color of skin, eyes, hair, like yeah. it just is, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah. It will affect us all. And so, but when you're young, you'd think the last thing it's going to do, not me, like him, her, but not me. And so when you're in your early 20s, and I got testicular cancer as well, right? So as a wow. young man, that's identified, like that's, you know, 
those are my balls. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? And so yeah. you're like, that's your whole identity is tied up in that <laughs> because you're pretty much still led around by your dick. So <laughs> like that was like a, a major thing to have to deal with. And it was cool for a minute when I had this huge nut. <laughs> I was like, yo, that looks, yeah, man. I like the look of that. <laughs> but then I was like, nah, I don't, nah, something's not right. <laughs> so I go to the doctor and I was, I was expecting him to give me some antibiotics and come back in two weeks. He's <laughs> like, oh, let me just do a couple of tests here. I was like, yeah, cool. Take my prescription for antibiotics after this and we'll be all good. Because, no. nah, you have to go to hospital. I was like, what? Because you have to go to hospital, go get these tests. I'm going to do some blood tests now, but I need you to go to hospital, do these tests. Went to hospital, they did all these tests and shit. Rang me back. Hospital rang me back, need you to come in tomorrow. I was like, okay. Go get my antibiotics. Mm. It's like, no, uh, Mr. McPhee, you have cancer. You have testicular cancer and we have to remove your testicle. And you have to go downstairs for admission right now because it's really bad. And so I got admitted straight away. Wow. And then the next day I was in hospital having the exercise because I had cancer. And it was about to go boom through my lymphoid system. And so they took it out. And then um, I went on the journey like so many other cancers. Um, survivors and people fighting cancer go on but at that age it's um crazy because you think you're invincible and then you know it took me years to recover but um you feel that invincibility and that air of invincibility just evaporates yeah overnight and so i don't have any i'm sorry i don't have any sagely words of no. wisdom about mindset for that just do everything you can to survive yeah um and then it doesn't it's not it's not like a disease you come out and you survive it and you feel like you're stronger yeah yeah, yeah. you'll just like feel vulnerable for years yeah right you're like oh my back hurts fuck do i have cancer in my back yeah. oh my neck hurts fuck do i have cancer in my neck oh my leg hurts do i have cancer in my leg scary man it's like that forever yeah even now, mm. still the same. Yeah, just survive, man. If you're fighting cancer right now, just do what you can to survive. And if you're trying to support somebody that's going through it, just love them wherever they are. They might be difficult. They might not be reasonable. They might be very selfish. They might be just fucking motionless in the bed. Whatever you can do, just love them where they are. Um, bro, we'll just... <laughs> wrap it up a wee bit because <laughs> you're a busy man you got places to be um, going for a minute. we chucked the Q&A up on Instagram oh. um, so you got a few questions pop through so we'll just run through them real quick um, do you think that those of Māori and Pacific origin have a natural gift in storytelling no and why um, we have incredible stories to tell mm-hmm that doesn't make you an incredible storyteller. Incredible storyteller has craft yep. and um, understands that craft and understands how to weave our narratives mm-hmm. into beautiful stories. Yep. And I think that's the challenge. You don't wake up and you're an incredible storyteller. Yep. You've got incredible stories from the background and your, you know, your people and your history and your culture, but telling stories eloquently elegantly inspirationally whatever it is that's an art and that's a craft yeah that takes work what car do you drive uh, i got a black g-wagon <laughs> oh. <laughs> dream dreams matte black black rims black, black custom leather interior oh just sleep in my car if i had that is real estate a good investment uh yep it just depends what you want in your life. Like mm. owning a property, getting into the market. Yeah. I would rather invest my money in business. Yeah. I have a different yeah. mindset. But yeah. yeah, it's not that that's bad. What's the best advice you ever received? Mm, fake it till you make it. Really? <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
on the last day, the founder of Zero, he was at work and and um, he was leaving, and he's a billionaire. And the, and one of oh. the guys at the office said to him, "You know, any advice, you know, for other people that want to follow in your path?" And he's just like, "Fake it till you make it." He, of course, was joking. Like I was just joking. <laughs> now, the best advice I've ever been given is um, lose belief in everything. People around you, um, your friends, your family, but never lose belief in yourself. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, that's a powerful one. Um, it's two more here. Your first three steps when starting a business. Um, number one. Uh, is research and um, look for the data that um, can validate or um, disvalidates, unvalidates your original idea. Okay, yeah. What is there to substantiate whether this is a good idea or not? Look for data. Yeah. Um, once you understand the truth of the data, uh, then number two, if you decide to go ahead, uh, run your first test to actually validate that the data is true for your particular business in your particular part of the world. Okay. Number three, if you're able to validate and haven't quit at that stage, then number three is create massive traction fast for that very um, minimum viable product, that MVP. Create as many customers as you can quickly, as much brand traction as you can quickly for that proposition that then gives you the confidence and demonstrates that financially this business can operate. Mm. Do those three things. Nice. Last one, you've already sort of touched on this though, is um, what do you invest in? So you obviously invest in businesses. That's Yeah, invest in platforms. That's what we do, platforms. Because yep. platforms have the ability to solve a problem very personally, but do it at scale. Yep. Content doesn't do that. Um, and so if you look at any of the big exits that have happened, um, they're for companies that own platforms. So like Facebook, the platform for social connection and, you know, yep. Zero, the platform for small business transaction. Yeah. Um, YouTube, the platform for video sharing. Yeah. Like create a platform and you own the game. Create platforms, my friend. Create platforms. <laughs> create platforms. Um, bro, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing some of your time. Um, it's awesome to have you on the first sort of hustlers one. Yeah, it's good to be um, here, bro. Thank you for having me, first guest. Thanks for jumping on, brother. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you.